how do you encourage children to thrive when their lives are filled with stress and trauma? Michelle Kender of the Momentous Institute is here to tell us today on Live Happy Now. What we've found is that when you teach children the basic biology of their emotions, they feel a greater sense of control in managing them, and and they're even recruited into their own development. Hello, this is Jeff Sanders, and welcome back to another episode of the Live Happy Now podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how some innovative and important work is being done by the Momentous Institute in Dallas to help change the lives of children. For nearly 100 years, the Momentous Institute has helped children overcome trauma and toxic stress to learn how to live happy, healthy lives. Working with children and their families to help them achieve their greatest potential, the Momentous Institute has seen dramatic, measurable results in both personal and academic outcomes. Live Happy Science Editor Paula Phelps talked with Michelle Kinder, Executive Director of the Institute, to see how their practices are changing lives and what we can all learn from them. Michelle, I'm really happy to have you on Live Happy Now because you are doing some really fascinating work that's going to impact the future of children for a very long time. And and so before I get into some of my questions, I wondered if you'd give me a little bit of background on the Momentous Institute and what it is that you do. Absolutely. Thank you, Paula. I'm so happy to, I'm the happiest one to be here because we're <laughs> huge fans of, of Live Happy and what you all are doing and definitely swimming in the same ocean and trying to move the same needles in terms of the well-being of children and families and people. So um, Momentous Institute is a 98-year-old organization, and we've always been focused on children's well-being. We're owned and operated by a civic organization called the Salesmanship Club of Dallas. And for golf fans out there, the AT&T Byron Nelson uh, is our chief fundraiser. So that kind of puts that in context for you, and we we play out that commitment to children's well-being through mental health services for 5,000 people a year, most of whom are impacted by poverty, and no one is turned away for an inability to pay. And then we have a further upstream effort also for children impacted by poverty that's a lab school where social-emotional health is as prioritized as academics. And then we take everything we learn in that direct work with children and families and invest in research and training so that we can hopefully impact way more children than we could ever serve directly. So usually when someone comes to you, it's going to the family, a parent, what is it that they're asking for? and What is it that they're really in search of? Yeah. You know, our school families are are really in search of just that long-term success that comes from a school environment where they're seen as whole children with academic needs, but also social and emotional needs. And um, they also come to us for how it feels to be a parent in our community. We work really hard to privilege the voices of the parents and... um, build a rich sense of community and provide a safe place for parents who maybe aren't used to stepping into that advocate role to really practice it for those years that the children are with us so that when they launch, 
they feel comfortable being that same strong advocate for their children in middle and high school and beyond. And the, the families that come to us for mental health services are dealing with a lot of different things, depression, anxiety, uh, behavioral issues at school, high conflict homes, a lot of generational trauma, um, a lot of grief, divorce, really any number of presenting issues that you might see um, at any mental health center. And have you seen an uptick in some of these issues in, say, the last couple of years? There's been a lot more uncertainty thrown into our political and and our social climate. Has that affected the children that you're seeing? I wish I could say no, but without question, it's affecting the children and families that we work with. Um, There's just a heightened sense, as you said, of uncertainty, a greater sense of fear, um, as adults grapple with these larger questions and just dysregulated nervous systems around some of the uncertainty, the kids are picking up on that. It's impacting their own sense of well-being. We have a, a program for young children who are so dysregulated that they've been uh, asked to leave their pre-Ks. And um, we had several of them doing a play-based intervention outside, and they started to play ice. These are three- and four-year-old children. Yes. So it's very, very much in the, in the consciousness of even our youngest children that things are feeling uncertain and less safe for many, many families right now. So then how do you counter that? Because uh, I think this is a great topic for parents to be able to listen to, because even if it's not something they themselves and their children are dealing with, the chances are high that they know somebody who is dealing with that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, um, we have found that just going back to that understanding of what helps people stay grounded in a tolerable stress as opposed to a toxic stress, which is the ability to self-regulate and safe relationships is is very grounding and direction-setting for us during these uncertain times. So we're constantly working with families around Um, First, kind of naming and understanding and normalizing what they're experiencing. Then also looking at their support structure and what sort of safe relationships do they feel tethered to that can help them make sense of what they're feeling and experiencing. And then really working with people to develop tools that will help them manage their internal world regardless of what's coming at them externally like a mindfulness and meditation, exercise, focusing attention, um, really developing a, a clarity about what aspects in their life create a sense of well-being and um, help them note when they're triggered and bring those strategies in as opposed to just kind of going through the motions in a in a fear-based unconscious state. And and what I love is, like the other things you do, these are tools that will last a lifetime if they're administered and they continue to practice them. And then also, it's not just the child that you're dealing with. This affects their whole family. And so you're impacting the life of an entire family when you help a child. 
Absolutely. And virtually all of our programs are very systemic in nature. We think about um, all of the different players in the child's life. It's become abundantly clear to us that if you're in the business of improving children's lives, you have to be in the business of improving parents' lives and teachers' lives, systems, and, and maybe a less obvious but a critical one, you have to be in the business of improving communities by going toward structural inequities like racism and toxic stress, poverty, trauma, all of that. Yeah, and you guys are amazing because you're you are climbing up a big hill, but you're climbing it. You know that's what's so wonderful. You're and, and you're getting more and more people to make that climb with you. And you know, I know one of the things that you talk about is social emotional health. And can you explain what that is and why it matters to our children? Absolutely. You know we have spent a lot of time looking at what are the chief levers. Um, after these 98 years of marinating, and we feel like the chief most underattended to lever in terms of children's well-being and family well-being is that strong social-emotional health. And the way we define it is the capacity to understand and manage our emotions, reactions, and relationships. And we know um, from our research, but also from research nationwide, that that impacts children's capacity to do well academically and socially in the short term. And then, of course, we've all seen um, the data coming out about emotional intelligence in the long term and how many businesses are hiring for some of those non-technical skills and seemingly untrainable skills um, like the capacity to manage emotions, reactions, and relationships. And so how do you go about helping children achieve this? Yes, we have a model because we feel like there's two kind of ways to come at it. The implicit, which is just like, what does it feel like to be in your building? Um, are, are the adults regulated? Is there... Uh, you know, an absence of yelling and shaming and uh, frustration and all, all of those things that just create a negative climate. And then we go toward it in an explicit way with a social-emotional health model we've developed, which basically starts with the importance of safe relationships, because we know from the neuroscience without that, all of the other skills and the building of those skills really becomes noise. So you have to have the underpinning of safe relationships. The next phase that we focus on is helping kids learn how to self-regulate. So we teach them about their brain. So like our youngest children can tell you that their amygdala is in charge of their emotions, that wow. the prefrontal cortex. I know, it, it actually <laughs> See, is part party trick, part neuroscience. See, and I love yeah. that because there are adults, a lot of adults who can't tell you what the amygdala does or where it's located. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> it's so true. And, and not only can they not tell you about their amygdala or their prefrontal cortex or their hippocampus, but they also... Uh, aren't conscious of the fact that if they are in fight, flight, or freeze mode or triggered in any way, that is not the best time 
to be making decisions. So what we've found is that when you teach children the basic biology of their emotions, they feel a greater sense of control in managing them, and and they're even recruited into their own development. Whereas if, if you have a model that focuses on, you know, the child is bad or the child is misbehaving, the number one goal of that child is going to be to hide to hide or fight, right? Like they're not going to want to work shoulder to shoulder with you on the right. problem. But our model, if a child is having a hard time, then uh, our conversations would sound more like, you know, your amygdala is in charge right now. And I'm remembering last week when that happened, you did X, Y, or Z. Do you think that might work this week? So it's just a whole different way of coming at it. And then moving up the model, once we work on self-regulation, which is that brain, breath, feelings, impulse control, understanding the connection between brain and body, then we kind of go into some of the higher order awareness of self, like gratitude, optimism, grit, and resilience. Then we move into helping them understand others by focusing on perspective taking and empathy and then the final piece although it's not linear you're of course working on all of this at the same time in many ways but the final piece for us is the change maker stage right so kindness compassion hope all of that good social emotional health expressed outward in a way that benefits the community and what kind of results do you see because I know the results we see in adults. So I'm thinking, what was, what is this like for children who are much more open to to things than we are as adults? How do you, what kind of results do you see with this? We we see unbelievable results, and I think it's exactly what you said. Uh, it's almost like it's easier for them to access it because they haven't had all this conditioning, all these years of conditioning them out of that connection to to their brain and body and mind. So um, children get it immediately. We practice some sort of breathing in every classroom and in our therapy services as well, but in our classrooms three times a day because we know that you have to practice those skills when you're in a regulated state and then that way when you get dysregulated you can quickly pull pull it in um, you can't teach and practice the skills with children only when they're uh, in a dysregulated state so we see uh, all all kinds of differences in terms of children's ability to plug in focus um, think of themselves as part of a community All of our work is on how do you pay attention to how your behavior impacts the people around you, and since you feel like you're part of a community, you actually care to do that differently if it's causing a problem. So it's that internal locus of control versus do the right thing because I'm an adult and I'm watching you, which has an enormous impact long-term. Yeah, can you talk about that long-term effect that this has? Because I want to hear how this affects them long-term and then kind of touch on how trauma and and toxic stress affect them long-term. Yes. 
Um, so we, our children at the school are with us three years old through fifth grade, and then they scatter into about 60 different middle and high schools, some amazing, some subpar, and everything in between. And we have a research team that tracks them and contacts them each year, and we get school records, and we're seeing 97% graduate high school on time, and we're seeing 84% go on to higher education. And remember, the vast majority of our population are first-generation college students impacted by poverty, and then um, 82% are going on and persisting into that sophomore year. That is and amazing. We have, it, it's amazing. It's amazing, and it actually has reversed, not just closed the gap with kids of privilege in Texas, but it's actually reversed it. So, and and we feel confident that that a big piece of that is that hyper focus on these social emotional health skills very early on, and those skills really helping them navigate then the other developmental phases. Um, and then ultimately achieve their full potential. And that feels like it's going to change our culture and our society in a big way, because instead of mm. uh, just the place that they're coming from is so different, and, and the way that they're solving their problems, the way that they're approaching life in general is so positive and so different. Have you, have you talked about that and looked at how that is changing our society based on, on their interactions? Mm. Yes, you know, I think it, it, it. you said it earlier, Paula, when you talked about adults learning these skills, you see a ripple, but when when kids are learning it at three, it's so deeply embedded in their bone marrow and in their way of thinking and being, and very early on, we're helping them develop a change maker lens, which is a lot about focusing on contribution over personal achievement. So, yes, of course we want them to achieve, but not toward the end of their own personal ego. Uh, Instead, toward the end of making unique and important contributions to the community. And, you know, I'm I'm convinced that it, it is children who have some adversity that are going to be our most impactful future leaders because that it's it's that pathway when supported by safe relationships and capacity to self-regulate. It's that pathway that where kids really learn who they are and they learn what they're capable of. And generally speaking, they have a front row seat to adults who have made enormous sacrifices in order for them to have a better life. And so they they have a drive to do right by their families and by their community. That That is very much what we need to be seeing in our future leaders. So I'm I'm hoping and believing that not just our work, but the work of many other people is building a a generation of uh, children who are in control of their emotions, reactions, and relationships, and interested in contributing to the greater good over and above their personal achievement, which ultimately should change the tone and texture of our culture. 
And that's really exciting because we hear people complaining, you know, and that's gone on for generations. Our, our current, you know, whipping boy are the millennials. <laughs> people complain about the millennials don't do this. And, you know, when, when you talk about how these children are being raised and the way that the thinking is different. And as you said, um, you're, you're one microcosm that is doing this and other people are, are doing similar efforts, whether it's individually or as an organization. And it's such an exciting thing for me to think about like, what kind of a society we are raising up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a, a really intentional kind of correction to a pendulum swing um, and, and, and just a collective effort almost to reclaim this more soul-based country. Yeah. Um, Do you think in a way that, that the current climate is helping what you're doing? Well, it's definitely making it clear that we'll never go out of business and that the need <laughs> for the focus on social-emotional health is enormous. Now, Momentus Institute is doing a conference in September, and this is a wonderful way for people who are outside the Dallas area to really come and experience what you're all about. Can you tell us a little bit about the conference? Yes, absolutely. It's going to be September 27th and 28th. It's going to be right here in Dallas, as you said, at the Omni Hotel. And our theme this year, it's perfect for how we've been talking the last hour, Paula, is um, belonging, this notion that we're better together and trying to hold space for people to to be together around that topic, anyone and everyone to come join us. Uh, I really I really appreciate you spending some time with us today because I, I think the work that you're doing is so important. And not just for today, you are really changing our future that we're going to be living in. And uh, and we can't help but just appreciate you for doing that. Thank you so much. I I feel the same way about the work of Live Happy. So I, I feel like we're we're all moving in the same direction and grateful to have you all as partners. If you'd like to learn more about the Momentous Institute and about its seventh annual Changing the Odds conference in Dallas, visit us online at livehappynow.com. And if you like what you heard here today and want to hear more, go to Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Search for Live Happy Now and hit subscribe. You'll never miss a single episode. That's all the time we have today. So until next time, this is Jeff Sanders wishing you a great day and hoping that every day you live happy.